When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Today's episode goes back four years into the archives with an in-season podcast that we did with Andrew Coverdale, who's now the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati St. Xavier. And Cincinnati St. Xavier won the state championship in his first year there. Uh, They've been a perennial powerhouse in Ohio under head coach Steve Specht. And Coach Coverdale in this one shares some great information with us. Definitely love talking football with him. And we'll look to have him back during the offseason. Coach Noel Mazzoni will be back with us tomorrow. We had a scheduling issue uh, for this week's recording, but we'll catch up with him tomorrow. And then, of course, DJ Elliott talking on defense this week. Here's our episode with Coach Coverdale. We're going to talk today about making the transition from summer install to the season. We're going to talk about the process on Saturday and Monday, and then something that they do to help their quarterbacks in what they call a, a live pass period. So, Andrew, welcome again to the show. We'd love to have you back here, and uh, it's great to talk to you again. It's great to be back, and I'm honored that you would have me after uh, June's slim fest where I couldn't get out of my own way. So thanks for having me again. <laughs> well, as always, it's good to talk with you, Andrew, and, and we're, let's get right into it and talk about some of the things that you do and how it's different, you know, in, summer install allows you to do a lot of things. And obviously you want to build in all your answers. You need to get some answers as to, you know, how you think your personnel is going to operate. But when you hit the season, obviously you can't take all those things forward into every game. So what's the process for you as you prune that down and get into your in season? Yeah, I would say two things up front. I would say that, um, first of all, especially as an offensive coordinator, I'm very fortunate to have a head coach that's process oriented and he understands the long haul of things. And he understands that the goal is not perfect technique and execution in spring or in June or anything like that. And so he's very patient as we kind of bombard our guys early. So he gives me a lot of freedom and I'm really grateful for that. And uh, I don't take it for granted. Uh, The second thing I would say is that I guess in a sense uh, we kind of work backwards because when we start putting our team together in spring ball, we really do assume that they're a blank slate and we have a core system and then we have an expanded core beyond that. And the core things are going to stay the same year to year, but we really have no idea what certain kids are going to take to and what's going to fit our guys. And we might not have an idea what we think it might be is going to evolve and change. And we want to give that the best chance to develop 
We also really want to uh, stretch their ability to learn football. So June is going to be very stressful for our guys in terms of how much information they're confronted with, and it's going to be challenging for us as far as how well we can teach it and make it intuitive in terms of how they learn it and keep working through mistakes and, and force very difficult scenarios onto them and force them to exercise their understanding of why we construct certain concepts certain ways. And all that is going to lead to a very heavy inventory about this type of time of year that we're really not going to be able to execute with efficiency. And it's not that we love bad execution, but we're actually going to take a start big and pare down approach in terms of sort of the six-month calendar of our football as opposed to smart, start small and build up. We will run far less offense in our first game, in our fourth game, and in our seventh game than we have available to us right now with the idea that some of the things that we're going to be discarding over the next few weeks because they don't fit or we can't execute them at the rate and tempo and precision that we want to execute them, if we, if we find that there are things that we discard that are going to be helpful later on, we feel like it's easier to go back, say, in week eight uh, and go, go get something that the kids have had exposure to because there's familiarity with, skill, with skills and there's familiarity with the picture that we're trying to create rather than to introduce it new. And I don't know if that's right, wrong, or indifferent. I feel like the pain of what we do in June drives their football IQ up. I feel like it gives us a chance to find out exactly what fits our guys and fits our opponents um, and, and arm them with the things that are best for them. And I, I think it's a little bit like I guess the, the picture I have in my head is of a batter standing in the on-deck circle swinging two bats with donuts on it. Like right now, that's the way it feels to our kids mentally. But bit by bit, we'll take one donut off and then we'll put one bat down so that by the time hopefully we're playing Carmel August 18, our kids feel like they're swinging, they're swinging really fast and that the game is slowed down for them. So that's kind of been our process. It, it may not be for everybody, but it has been helpful for our kids, and I think it's, it's allowed us to really find out what, our, what it is our kids can do best and, and hopefully feel fast and confident going into week one. I'm sure one of the things it does for you, um, and, and a term I learned from you uh, a long time ago in a clinic, is giving them all that stuff and helping them understand kind of the big picture of, of really how everything can fit together and what you do have available, I think helps you along the way, like you said, their football IQ, or like you like to refer to it as their educated freedom. Do you think it does get them to that spot where during the season – uh, they can understand maybe how to adjust on the fly a little bit better? Yeah, I think it does. And I think, again, that goes to my boss and sort of our culture here. We're not afraid to have practices that that look like the last moments of the Hindenburg. I mean, we're not we, – we don't feel like every pass under pressure, every in, run and salt is going to look great because they're going to get hard fire zones. And they're going to – we want at this point in the season, we want to force our kids – to use their eyes to the maximum ability, and we're going to bring problems from everywhere their eyes could be looking, and they're going to learn the hard way. But that's how that's how the rules become intuitive too. And so I think I think that's the first thing. And I think the other thing is, you know, we talk about an ownership-based offense, and so they can't own something they haven't been exposed to. And so 
you know, we have a library of film that we draw from, and so if if we have a if we have a run concept that that Stanford used or or a route concept that we saw Western Kentucky use, our skill guys want to own that. They're going to get excited about that screen or that play, and they're going to want a chance to really make it theirs. And we challenge them. You know, uh, it's not just that we're going to run this play. You have to take it and make it yours, and <clears throat> execute it at a high level. And I think the exposure helps give kids that appetite for football as well. And you just really have never, you, you have you have no idea what you're going to be able to do going into a season, and really even that evolves. And so we, we kind of want to account for that within our system and within our approach. I know that a lot of uh, offensive coordinators carry those kinds of packages, those big kinds of packages, but maybe hold on to too much, I guess, as a security blanket that, geez, I, you know, yeah. what if we need this? Um, and I also yeah. know that you're you're big on processes. So what what tips could you give on maybe a process to help coaches prune down what that big menu of plays that they have? You know, one thing that's helpful is it helps to have a guy on staff if you can find this guy. And I have this guy this year. We have we have a former successful head coach from the area who's joined our staff, who is by nature a contrarian. And contrarians on staff can be a real problem if they're not bought into your fundamental philosophy, but if they are a hundred percent in the boat with you in terms of the philosophy, they're unbelievably valuable in terms of helping keep your blind spots um, exposed, so to speak. And so if you have a guy and, and my head coach has been that as well, because my head coach is discipline and I'm creativity. I know we've, we've talked about that before. And if you, if you can get your ego out of the way enough to live in that tension, those guys can be sets of eyes for you. I call this guy that I mentioned, who's our tight end coach now, I call him our ombudsman because <laughs> he's the guy that kind of, he's the, he's the quality control. He's the what if, he's the contrarian. He's the guy that brings the scenarios. And I don't take it personally or get ticked off at him because I know he's in the boat with me and I know he's driven to make us better. So I think that's part of it. I think that having a format for your game plan, like we have so many slots in our game plan in terms of base offense, I think that that's part of it. I think that, you know, I heard you talk to Coach Longo at Mississippi and their one, two, three, four system. I think that's valuable. I've always tried to think in terms of what are we A plus at? Like when I just step back and watch the film, what are the things that our kids do effortlessly? Doesn't mean we're perfect at it, but what does it look natural and easy? And so I start from there and say, okay, what do I really need in addition to this to get me through base offense, if anything? And then how do I answer situations? And so having your offense sort of slotted in terms of we can realistically practice this many calls helps. Uh, I think that's a part of it too. And then I also, I also carried this from a guy that I coached with years ago at Castle. Uh, there was a guy by the name of John Elliott who was on my staff who he was kind of the resident contrarian. And one of the things he always said was the first game of the year is always decided by who makes the least mistakes. And I've absolutely found that. So take everything that I've just said, you know, what the contrarian on your staff is saying to you, what the slots on your practice scripts say, what are your A-plus, take all of that. And then in week one, you know that because of the adrenaline and because of just the newness of everything and because of the circumstances, we're going, to play, we're going to be playing Carmel High School in front of a packed house at home, defending Indiana 6A state chance. We're not going to be able to hear ourselves, so, so now trim it back even a little bit more, especially for game one until your kids can kind of figure it out. 
Uh, I'm going to be honest and say that's real hard on me, and I'm <laughs> I'm learning each year as we go along. From week one, I, I've really got to pare it down more than I would like, while still having good answers. But those are some of the things I guess that have been helpful for me. You know, having having a voice on your staff and giving him permission to have that voice, having a having a template for how your calls fit in, and then week one, you know, trimming above and beyond what you really even think you need to. Matt, kind of been my guidepost, yeah. That's definitely great advice. Um, and, and I know one of the things you really pride yourself on is being able to, to, to have time as the week goes on and more and more, more focus on the players and preparing them rather than necessarily always just preparing themselves. I know a lot of guys maybe carry their game planning too, too long into the week, and certainly uh, you know, that, has a, that reflects with, with their players. Their players have to understand it. You know, it doesn't matter how much film we watch if we can't translate to them. So you guys like to get a jump on, on, uh, uh, on the week, and I know you have a great process for Saturday and Monday. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, and that kind of speaks to so, – so I'll reverse engineer a little bit because actually I, I kind of unintentionally segued myself. I think one of the things that really helped me as far as what to carry is leaving Thursday kind of unspoken leaving a lot of freedom Thursday. Now, our Thursdays are really short, but I have a couple of what I would call contingency slots on Thursday that if there's anything I don't feel quite over the hump about, we can really – we get five or six reps to polish it up. And then, obviously, if you don't love it Thursday, it's not going on the call sheet Friday. And my quarterback is one of my, I guess you'd say, ombudsman. My quarterback is going to get a, you know, like it, love it uh, list of all of our calls Wednesday night. So to make that happen, we, we have learned to really front load our week. And, and so what I mean by that is ideally, uh, ideally, especially against a known opponent who has a core structure that we know, when we come in Saturday, you know, we have a pretty typical Saturday routine. The kids are going to lift some. The kids are going to review film of the previous night some. We're going to try to be strategic in that because you don't really have time to watch the whole game. So ideally our position coaches come in, have not watched the film. We sit down together for half an hour, identify five or six clips that we each want to watch. But sometime in that film process, we're going to transition out of the previous opponent and just briefly intro the next opponent. And again, the offensive staff will have come and, and watch just enough of our next opponent to identify their core structure, agree on how we're going to call it, agree on how we're going to label it and so on so that when we uh, meet out the, the responsibilities for film work, we're, we're speaking a common language. And then at some point as we're, we will have already agreed on what the scout defense is going to be next week. So by the time we're to this part of the film with our kids, we'll have next week's scout defense in there with us and we'll be showing them where they're going to fit into next week's scout defense. And then at some point in that process, myself, and the assistant who's running the scout defense will break away with the scout defense, and we will introduce how we are going to get them into the core looks for our next opponent. And we don't, we don't really card very much during game week. We teach the scout defense, and we, we take a lot of time to make the scout defense feel really important, whether it's making them a captain or giving them – special names or really loving them up and giving them special seats in the film because I do, you know, I, I believe in a lot of what, you know, I heard Jake Gilbert talking about with servant leadership, but 
and that kind of thing. It really glues your team together. But they're going to hear calls throughout the week so that we can go as fast as possible within our, you know, within the tempos that we use. And so what that allows us to do on Saturday is hit the ground running Monday, and Monday is going to be really full as far as establishing our core offense, establishing our calls, establishing our checks. On Monday, we have a drill called Run Foundations where we're going to get every core front that you run up to three core fronts or key three core run fits, and we're going to get every run for that week repped in a real rapid-fire fashion so that ideally we're knocking out the assignment aspects and the call communication aspects. So when we do our inside run on Tuesday, Wednesday, it's all technique and it's all tempo and it's all refinement as opposed to having to say on Tuesday or Wednesday, no, we're doing that against this front. We try to get that all, all out of the way on Monday. Uh, we have a live pass period, which I'll talk a little bit more about. We have a live pass period Monday through Wednesday. But especially on Monday, we want to get the most challenging blitz possibilities. We want our kids exposed to those on Monday. And we want them to see what the problems are created by those blitzes so that when we go to our post-Monday practice, they can see how the answers we have for that week are going to fix those problems or address those problems so that when we come back to the, the most difficult of the blitzes, either Tuesday or Wednesday, we can be attacking it live and full speed and, and be fit up against it. So our, our Mondays are, are longer and probably more physical than most. And then our Tuesdays are probably very typical high school Tuesdays in terms of that is our most live day. And by Wednesday, I wouldn't – Wednesday a lot of times we'll go shell. Some of that depends on each group and what they need. We're scaling back the live contact. We're not scaling back the intensity. So the Thursday we're, we're in and out of there pretty quick because we've been able to front load our work. So I would say in general – and I can go into more detail on Monday if it's helpful, but in general – our Monday is not a walkthrough, and a lot of that has to do with because of what we try to get done on uh, on Saturday, especially with our scout and our look teams. We'll get back to Monday in a second here, but uh, I, I want to go over something that you talked about with your quarterback having a like it, love it list for him. And that's not yeah. always an easy thing to do, especially as they're a younger QB. I remember having a, a sophomore quarter, high school quarterback myself, and the kid loved everything. And, you know, there'd be points on, on game day, you know, he not perform as well and talk to him, you know, you love that one, huh? So he would start to refine and start to understand what to look for. But how do you train your guys, I guess, to, to be able to give you the best input in that, you know, like it and love it list? You know, I, I think one thing, so – Here's something I think we got from Jim Harbaugh. I'm not sure where we stole it from. That process has actually started now in terms of we have something called dealer's choice, which is a, a Jim Harbaugh term with the 49ers. So at the end of practice, for example, we've just done our last team period, and there is a one-play or a three-play situation, and they have to make a first down or score a touchdown or get out of the, the coming out area in one play or two plays. And I tell the quarterback, you have one play off your wristband because our practice is on wristband. You have one play off your wristband, pick it, organize it, run it. I'm out of the huddle. It's your huddle. It's your show. And your team is on the line based on your choice. And then I'll have some third down segments. We're in camp right now. We'll have a third down day on Thursday. And I'm going to make him create calls. So I guess one of the things I'm saying is that ideally by the time we get to game one, I shouldn't really be surprised by his like it, love it. And I can ask him questions about what is it that you like about this? 
and and that conversation gives me insight into how he sees the field. And then if he's not performing on his love it, then then yeah, that's that's the follow up question. You say you love this. Last year, ironically, I had just the opposite problem. I had such a perfectionist quarterback that we got to week one, and I literally had no love it, <laughs> none whatsoever. <laughs> so I said, well, I guess you're just going to have to tolerate this gameplay, and I hope we can figure out something you love. It was, it was a really unique situation. It, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is we're trying to build in ownership before we ever get to the season so that I'm not really surprised. But I will say this. I always think the value is in the conversation. The goal is for us to be in sync as far as what we're seeing about the field and how we're communicating. And so the value is always in the communication. So we did a, we did a quiz the other day where we just put up random clips and I asked them questions about the pre-snap thought process. And if we called this, how would you react to this? And I, you know, I gave them three seconds to answer and all that kind of stuff. Basically an in-person display kind of thing. But the value was not at all whether they got three out of four, four out of four, five out of four. The value was in going back and grading and saying, so why did you think this? And I found out more by asking questions uh, in sort of a non-judgmental way about how they're really seeing the field so that I could correct things than I would have just from actually the quiz itself. So I always think the value is in the conversation. And really when I do a like it, love it list, it's more about starting the conversation than it is anything else. So that's kind of how we looked at it. Coach, talk to us about your Monday. You mentioned that your Mondays are a little bit heavier. They're a little bit different. Obviously, you know, speaking to the coach out there who's looking at how can I tweak my practice and get more out of my practice week, what are some things you would offer as advice? Again, I think the more pre-planning you do with your scouts, I think that enables you to do things a lot more meaningful on Monday. I also think that anything that's generic to the work week that you can knock out on Monday. Because one problem I run into is the game plan is evolving to me as the week goes on. I mean, it's not like if I was an NFL coach and I could just bunker up Saturday and Sunday and think everything all the way through, it might be different. But the game plan is still evolving in my mind, even as late as Wednesday and sometimes into Thursday. So I try to take all the stuff that doesn't require real specific commitment by me and work it out on Monday, fundamentals, screen timing, certain parts of our running game that are not going to change, tempo type things. You know, we do a we do a tempo period on Monday. We're, we're a mixed tempo type team. So anything that we're going to do tempo-wise, we get that done on Monday. Face routes that are not going to change, we'll pine those up. So anything that's foundational, I really want to front load that into the week. Uh, on Monday so that Tuesday and Wednesday are as, as game plan specific as possible, and I've already got that good foundation built. I think exposing your guys to the toughest looks on Monday is incredibly valuable so that they can, uh, you know, so that they can fix those mistakes and see. You know, that forces them to see the why of your plan when you show them those tough looks, those tough pressures, those tough issues. Uh, you want them to be confronted by all the things that are hard about your opponent's personnel and structure on Monday so they can gradually see, oh, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. So uh, the other thing I would say about Monday, I think our run foundations, it's hard to kind of communicate on radio how we do it, but we basically, let's say that you're a, let's say that you're an odd team that usually slants to the field, sometimes slants to the boundary, 
and 20% of the time you get an under front. And those three things all have implications for our running game. Well, I'm going to have scouts aligned across the field, across the width of the field, one in an odd that slants one way, one in odd that slants the other, and one in an under front. And my offense is going to call a play, say wide zone, and we're going to run it against front one, then hustle up, run it against front two, hustle up, run it against front three, turn around on the same play the opposite way one, two, three times. So we get exposure to all the communication and all the footwork and all the all those things that have to happen for all of our base runs against all those fronts so that 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 part's knocked out. And I feel like that really frees us up to dial in on the rest of our running game the rest of the week. So those would be the things that I would say. Obviously, we're at an advantage because we platoon, so we don't have to split a lot of time. Defense is doing their thing as well. But but philosophically, it's been really good for us as we've evolved this thing. And finally, uh, Coach, Let's talk about that live pass period. We mentioned it a couple times already in, in this podcast, um, but you really feel that this is something that helps your quarterback and how he operates in the pocket. Talk to us about how you work this period. You know, we're not, we're not a gigantic drop-back passing team, and, and so I, I think there are a lot of other coaches who are committed to dropping back and throwing it a lot that could probably speak to this better than, than I can. I guess for us, and the mix that we want to have, maybe this isn't true of everybody, but I just think drop-back passing in high school can be such a challenge because drop-back pass protection is such a difficult skill. And not only is that maybe the most difficult skill, but especially a quarterback learning to execute all the reads and all the miniature escapes and have the pocket presence to execute that from within the pocket, that to me is just incredibly challenging. Uh, And it's, I've had it derail entire years when I had a quarterback that could spin it like a million bucks in seven on seven who couldn't function within that world, uh, especially when pressure's being brought. And so the development of the live pass period has been important to us. because So we started like everybody else. We just said, okay, we're going to have their blitzes and we'll snap it to somebody and it's a blitz pickup period. And then we thought, okay, well, that's great. But what if we actually had, in that environment, a quarterback there to drop back and throw to a stationary receiver so he had to get the feel of throwing from that pocket. And so that was good. That was better. But then that's not even realistic in terms of transferring because you're quite, everything that you're asking a quarterback to do has to be integrated or it's really at some point not going to transfer. And so we've evolved it to where there's some – we may not have all 11 guys. We may or we may not. We might not have all 11 guys involved in the period, but we're going to have multiple receivers and we're going to have some kind of trigger where a quarterback has to not only take his drop and potentially escape, because we're not winning every play in these drills now. We're just not, even against scouts. But he has to execute where he's looking in the correct way, in the correct rhythm of his feet, make a correct decision, even if it's only one decision, based on what happens and operate within the rhythm of his feet and possible escape and still make a throw. And that, to me, has accelerated our development and also understanding that that takes time. And our kids got bought into the fact we're going to have some live, we're going to have some live pass periods that look like a train wreck. But in that process, we're getting better and better and better so that late in the season, when you really do have to throw on third and nine and you do have to, to hold up, against a really well-thought-out fire zone 
with guys all around you and hold your eyes down the field that hopefully by November and December you're able to do those things at a relatively proficient rate when you need to. And so that's been really important for our development. I think it's all important in the passing. I think all the drills you do, the routes on air, all that's important. But being able to have a period where not only the protection part for your linemen and backs, but also the quarterback operating in a transferable way within that environment, that's been very important. I don't think it's secret sauce or anything, but like as I've looked at the things that are hard about high school offense, I've kind of identified that as number one, and that period has helped us quite a bit. Well, speaking of secret sauce, Andrew, what would be the one thing that you would say that you do in season that gives your team the winning edge? I think the, I think the biggest thing is that my head coach, because he's been around it enough, has a sense of, how, you know, everybody talks about having multiple seasons, you know, in the, in the NFL they divide it into four. Uh, in high school we typically divide it into three in terms of our early season and then our middle sort of district season and then the playoffs. And so having a sense of where we should be in each of those seasons and what those things demand of our kids in terms of their overall development and having – I guess, as Stephen Covey would say, having the end in mind. And so we're we're not trying, for example, we're not trying to have a playoff offense in week five. We're trying to, to take the necessary step of development in a 15-week process to get us there. I think having a head coach that understands the length of that process and, and knowing that, I mean, who we are right now in July may or may not resemble at all who we are in November – and just continuing to plug that process and continuing to develop competition so that kids, I guess along with that, I would say com- uh, continued competition for spots. And the depth, you know, we have some unique advantages. We're private school. We have depth that other guys don't have. And so we're certainly mindful of that. But I can't tell you how many times, because of the way we try to develop our kids in season, that we've had a guy – who was playing Monday night JV ball the first two weeks of the season, develop, push his way up the depth chart uh, because of the competition and opportunities in practice, and then eventually make big plays for us in the playoffs that we never expected. That happens pretty regularly around here, and I think, I think that's because of our head coach's understanding of the big picture and how he, how he translates that to the staff and how we approach our work. Well, Andrew, as always, uh, I appreciate your time. It was great talking ball with you. Best of luck to you as you guys progress through this season, and uh, we'll be looking for what you're doing in December. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate it.